The Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 22 Excursion into Unknown Tracks My first thought the next morning was to fetch the sledge from the wood. I had a double motive for leaving it there, which I had refrained from explaining to my wife, to avoid giving her uneasiness. I had formed a wish to penetrate a little farther into the land, and ascertain whether anything useful would present itself beyond the wall of rocks. I was, besides, desirous to be better acquainted with the extent, the form, and general productions of our island. I wished Fritz only, who was stronger and more courageous than his brothers, and Turk to accompany me. We set out very early in the morning and drove fast before us for the purpose of drawing home the sledge. As we were picking up some acorns, different birds of exquisite plumage flitted about us, for this once I could not refuse Fritz the pleasure of faring upon them, that we might learn their species. He brought down three. I recognized one to be the great blue Virginia jay, and the other two were parrots. One of the two was a superb red parrot, the other was green and yellow. While Fritz was reloading his gun, we heard a singular sort of noise which came from a distance. At one moment, it resembled a muffled drum, at another, the noise in sharpening a saw. My first idea was of music played by savages, and we retreated quickly to hide ourselves among the bushes. To listen, by degrees we advanced towards the place from whence the sound appeared to come, but perceiving nothing to alarm us, we separated some of the branches with our hands and then discovered a handsome bird, about the size of the English cock, and little and like it too, adorned with elegant formed smooth feathers round the neck and a comb upon the head, his head. The animal stood erect on a decayed trunk of tree, which was lying on the ground, and at this moment exhibited some singular gestures. His tail was spread in the form of a fan, similar to the turkey cock, but shorter. The feathers round his neck and head were erect and bristling. He sometimes agitated them with so quick a motion as to make them appear like a vapor which suddenly enclosed him. Sometimes he whirled himself round and round on the trunk of the tree. At others he moved his head and eyes in such a manner as to express a state of distraction, making at the same time the singular kind of noise with his voice which had alarmed us and which was preceded and followed by a sort of explosion. This last was caused by the motion of his wings, striking in a quick measure on the trunk, which was hollow and dry, and made the noise resemble a muffled drum. There were assembled around him a great number of birds of the same species, but much smaller and of a less beautiful form. One and all fixed their eyes upon him and seemed delighted with the pantomimony. I contemplated this extraordinary spectacle, of which I had formerly read an account with astonishment. The number of the spectators of the feathered actor increased every moment, and the performance increased in spirit also in proportion, presenting the idea of a perfect intoxication or delirium of the creature. At this moment, Fritz, who stood a little behind me, put an end to the scene by firing off his gun. The actor fell from the stage and stretched himself on the sand, breathed his last, and the spectators betook themselves suddenly to flight. I must confess, the interest I took in the exhibition was of so lively a nature that I could not refrain from reproaching Fritz in an angry tone. Why, said I, must we be always applying the means of death and annihilation to the creatures that fall in our way?
Is not nature a thousand times more exhilarating in her animated movements which express life and enjoyment than in the selfish scheme of destruction you seem so fond of? Some allowance should no doubt be made for the curiosity of youth, for necessities caused by our situation, and even for the taste you have acquired for sporting. I therefore, as you well know, do not object to your killing now and then a little game or some singular or dangerous kind of animal. But moderation is on all occasions useful, and the spectacle of this bird, employed in such earnest endeavors to draw his females around him, was at least as amusing as to see him stretched there at length and lifeless, who but two minutes ago exhibited such rapid and lively motions. His pretty hands, too, all dispersed in terror and deprived of the possibility of ever more marrying him or being his companions. Fritz looked down, shamed and sorry. I observed to him the thing being done. There was now no remedy that the fetress or heathcock was much esteemed as game, and that he had better take it for the, from the ground and carry it to his mother. We now laid the dead cock upon the ass's back and proceeded on our journey. We soon arrived at the Gava trees, and a little after at the spot where we had left the sledge, when we found our treasures in the best possible condition. But as the morning was not far advanced, we entered upon our intended project of penetrating beyond the wall of rocks. We pursued our way in a straight line at the foot of these massy, solid productions of nature, every moment expecting to reach their extremity or find some turn or breach or passage through them that should conduct us into the interior of the island, if, as I presumed, it was not terminated by these rocks. We walked on continually, looking about, that nothing might escape us worthy of notice, and to anticipate and avoid such dangers as should threaten. Turk was his usual brave with his usual bravery, took the lead, the ass followed with lazy steps, shaking his long ears, and Fritz and I brought up the rear. We next entered a pretty little grove, the trees of which were unknown to us. Their branches were loaded with large quantities of berries of an extraordinary quality, being entirely covered with a wax which st stuck to our fingers as we attempted to gather them. I knew of a sort of bush producing wax that grows in America, named by the botanist Myrica cerifera. I had no doubt that this was the plant, and the discovery gave me great pleasure. Let us stop here, said I to Fritz, for we cannot do better than collect a great quantity of these berries as a useful present to your mother. A short time after, another object presented itself with equal claims to our attention. It was the singular modes of behavior of a kind of bird, scarcely larger than a chant and clothed in feathers of a common brown color. These birds appeared to exist as a republic, there being among them one common nest inhabited at pleasure by all their tribes. We saw one of these nests in a tree in a somewhat retired situation. It was formed of plaited straws and bulrushes intermixed. It enclosed great numbers of inhabitants and was built around, around the trunk of the tree. It had a kind of roof formed of roots and bulrushes carefully knit together. We observed in the sides small apertures seemingly intended to, as doors and windows to each particular cell of this general receptacle. From a few of these apertures issued some small branches which served the birds as points of rest for entering and returning. The external appearance of the whole excited the image of an immensely large open sponge. The inhabitants were very numerous, they passed in and out continually, and I estimated that it might contain at least a million. 
The males were somewhat larger than the females, and there was a trifling difference in their plumage. The number of the males was very small in proportion to the females. I do not know whether this had been the cause of their thus assembling together. While we were attentively examining this interesting little colony, we perceived a very small kind of parrot hovering about the nest. Their gilded green wings and the variety of their colors produced a beautiful effect. They seemed to be perpetually disputing with the colonists and not unfrequently endeavored to prevent their entrance into the building. They attacked them fiercely and even tried to peck at us if we but advanced our hand to the structure. Fritz, who was well trained in the act of climbing trees, was earnestly desirous to take a nearer view of them and to secure, if possible, a few individuals. He threw his burden down and climbed to the nest. He then tried to introduce his hand into one of the apertures and to seize whatever living creature it should touch. In that particular cell, what he most desired was to find a female brooding and carry both her and the eggs away. Several of the cells were empty, but by perseverance he found one in the situation he wished, but he received so violent a peck from an invisible bird that his only care was now to withdraw his hand. Presently, however, he ventured a second time to pass his hand into the nest and succeeded in seizing his prey, which he laid hold of, and in spite of the bird's resistance he drew it through the aperture and squeezed it into the pocket of his waistcoat, and buttoning it securely he slid down the tree and reached the ground in safety. The signals of distress sent forth by the prisoner collected a multitude of birds from their cells, who all surrounded him, uttering loud cries and attacking him with their beaks till he had made good his retreat. He now released the prisoner, and we discovered him to be a beautiful little green parrot, which Fritz entreated he might be allowed to preserve and make a present to his brothers, who would make a cage to keep him in, and would then tame him and teach him to speak. On the road home, we observed to each other that from the circumstance of his young nestling within the structure, it appeared probable that the true right of property was in this species, and that the brown-collared birds we at first observed were intruders endeavoring to deprive them of it. Thus we find, said I to Fritz, the existence of social dispositions in almost every class of the animal kingdom, which leads to the combining together for a common cause or benefit. A multitude of causes may induce animals to form a body or society instead of living singly. Among them may be supposed the deficiency of females or males, the charge of the young, providing them with food, or as a means for their safety and protection. Who shall dare to fix limits to the instinct or to the faculties of the animal creation? Fritz, I do not, however, recollect any kind of animals who live thus together in society except the bees. Father. What say you then to wasps, drones, and different kinds of ants? Fritz, I did not indeed recollect the ants, though I have so often amused myself with looking at them. Nothing can be more interesting than the ingenious little houses they construct. Observing them attentively, we perceived their industry, their economy, their care of their young, in a word, all their undertakings conducted on a plan of society and numbers. Father, have you also observed with what a provident kind of instinct they bring out their eggs to be warmed by the sun, or for this end remove them from place to place till the time of their maturity? Fritz, is it not probable, Father, that what we take for eggs are chrysalis of ants, which, like many other insects, are thus shut up while the process of their taking wings is in their operation? Father, you may be right. Writers on natural history have considered the industry and frugality of these insects, piazzes, colonnades, and particular apartments for the offices of housewifery. The ant is an animal of pilfering 
propensities, on the profits of which it principally lives, it is also remarkable for constancy in its designs and remaining ever in one place. A species of them exists, however, in America, which is known by the name of the cephalate, or visiting ant. They make incisions made in the bark. This liquor is received in vessels placed expressly for the purpose. It is afterwards made to take the form of dark-colored bottles of different sizes such as we have seen them in the following manner. Before the liquor has time to coagulate, some small earthen bottles are dipped in it into it a sufficient number of times to form the thickness required. These vessels are then hung over smoke, which completely dries them and gives them a dark color. Before they are entirely dry, a knife is drawn across them, which produces the lines or figures with which you have seen them marked. The concluding part of the operation is to break the mold and to get out the pieces of the, by the passage of the neck, when there remains the complete form of, of a bottle. Fritz, this process seems simple enough, and we will make some bottles of it for carrying liquids when we go far in pursuit of game, but still I do not perceive how the discovery is so much value to us. Father, not by this use of it alone, certainly, but its quality is excellent for being made into shoes and boots without seams. We can add the assistance of earthen molds of the size of the leg or foot to be fitted. We must consider of some means of restoring masses of the chalk to its liquid form for spreading upon the molds, and if we should not succeed, we must endeavor to draw it in sufficient quantities in its liquid state from the trees themselves. We continued our way till we reached another wood, the skirts of which we had already seen, it being the same which stretches from the seashore to the top of the rocks, and this spot alone, and mixed with a quantity of coquetries, I discovered a sort of tree of smaller growth, which I presume must be the sago palm. One of these had been thrown down by the wind so that I was able to examine it thoroughly. I perceived that the trunk of it contained a large quantity of mealy substance. I therefore, with my hatchet, laid it open long ways and cleared it of the whole contents, and I found on tasting it was exactly like the sago I had often eaten in Europe. We now began to consider how much further we would go. The thick bushes of bamboo through which it was impossible to pass seemed to furnish a natural conclusion to our journey. We were therefore unable to ascertain whether or not we should have found a passage beyond the wall of rocks. We perceived then no better resource than to turn to the left towards Cape Disappointment, where the luxurious plantations of sugar canes now again drew our attention. That we might not return empty-handed to Falcon Stream, and might deserve forgiveness for so long an absence, which we each took the pains to cut a large bundle of the canes, which we threw across the ass's back, not forgetting the ceremony of reserving one apiece to refresh ourselves with along the road. We soon arrived on the well-known shore of the sea, which at length afforded an open and a shorter path. We next reached the wood of gourds, where we found our sledge, loaded as we had left it in the night before. We took the sugar canes from the ass and fastened them to the sledge, and then we harnessed the ass, and the patient animal began to draw towards home. We arrived at Falcon Stream without any further adventure. We received at first some kind reproofs. We were next questioned, and lastly thanked, as we displayed our various treasures, but particularly the sugar canes. Each of the boys seized one and began to suck it as did their mother also. Nothing could be more amusing than to hear Fritz relate, with unaffected interest, our new discoveries, and to see him imitate the gestures of the Heathcock as he held it up for examination. 
His hearers continued to shout with laughter for many minutes. Then came the history of the colony of birds and their singular habitation and of the green parrot, all of which was listened to with the delight excited by a fairy tale. Fritz showed them the handsome red parrot dead, also the great blue jay, both of which they did not cease to mare. But when he took out of his pocket the little green parrot all alive, there were no bounds to their ecstasy. They jumped about like mad things, and I was obliged to interpose my authority to prevent them their tearing him to pieces in the struggle who should have him first. Francis nearly devoured the little animal with kisses, repeating a thousand times, Pretty little parrot! At length the bird was fastened by the leg to one of the roots of the trees till a cage could be made for him, and was fed with acorns which he appeared exceedingly to relish. We next gave an account of the project I now had of furnishing not only candles, but boots and shoes. Fritz took a bit of the rubber from his pocket and drew it to his, its full length, and then let it go suddenly to the great amusement of little Francis. Soon after nightfall, we partook of a hearty meal, being much fatigued. We went early to, er, than usual to rest, and having carefully drawn up the ladder, we fell exhausted into sound and peaceful slumbers. Make their appearance in numerous troops every two or three years, and disperse themselves in every house. As soon as our visit is observed, it is customary to open all the apartments and receptacles for stores. They enter everywhere, and in a short time it is found that they have exterminated as effectually the rats, mice, bugs, cackler, sort of insect that gives great annoyance in hot countries. In a word, all the different animals offensive or injurious to man, as if sent on a special mission to remedy the evils these occasion. They do no injury to man unless they find in him an enemy who pursues and disturbs their quiet, in which case they attack his shoes so violently that they are destroyed with incredible rapidity. This curious species does not build its house above ground, but digs holes, sometimes not less than eight feet in depth and plaster the walls according to the rules of the art of masonry. Fritz, you mentioned just now that in each class of the animal creation there were some individuals which formed themselves into societies. Pray tell me which they are. Father, I know of no instance among birds but that, but that we have just been witnessing. But among quadrupeds there is at least one striking example of this social principle. Try to recollect it yourself. Fritz, it is perhaps the elephant or the sea otter. Father, neither is the one I thought of. The animals you have named discover also a strong disposition to live in society with their species, but they build nothing like a common house of reception. Try again. Fritz, ah, is it not the beaver, father? Is it not true that these animals possess an intelligence and that enables them to contrive and place dams to such streams or rivers as obstruct their design of building entire villages, and that by this operation they are furnished with a sort of ditch, which they use for their purpose? Father, you are quite right, and strictly speaking, the marmoset also may be included in the number of socially quadrupeds. For they dig themselves a common place of abode, a sort of cavern in the mountains, and these whole families of them pass the winter comfortably in a continual sleep. We reached a wood, the trees of which in a small degree resembled the wild fig tree, at least the fruit they bore, like the fig was round in form, and contained a soft, juicy substance full of small grains. Their height was from forty to sixty feet. The bark of the trunk was skelly, like the pineapple, and wholly bare of branches except at the very top. 
The leaves of these trees are very thick in substance, tough like leather, and their upper and under surfaces are different in color. But what surprised us the most was a kind of gum, which issued in a liquid state from the trunk of the tree and became immediately hardened by the air. This discovery awakened Fritz's attention. In Europe, he had often made use of the gum produced by cherry trees, either as a cement or varnish in his youthful occupations. And the thought struck him that he could do the same with what he saw now. As we walked, he looked frequently at his gum, which he tried to soften with his breath, but without success. He now discovered a still more singular property in the substance, that of stretching on being pulled at the extremities and on letting go of reducing itself instantly by the power of an elastic principle. He was struck with surprise and sprang towards me, repeating the experiment before my eyes and exclaiming, Look, father, if this is not the very thing we formerly used to rub out bad s strokes in our drawings. Ah, what do you tell me, cried I with joy, such a discovery would be valuable indeed. The best thanks of all will be due to you, if it is the true chalk tree which yields the Indian rubber. Quick, hand it here, and I'm, that I may examine it. Having satisfied myself of our good fortune, I had now to explain that Kaatachalk is a kind of milky sap which runs from its tree in consequence as a subject not unworthy of their consideration. But if the common ant of our own country excites so much of your admiration, what will be your astonishment as at the labors performed by the ants of other regions? There is a kind which build nests of four, six, and eight feet in height and large in proportion. The external walls of these structures are so thick and solid that neither sun nor rain can penetrate them. They are houses which contain within little streets, arched roofs, 